0: Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon and be blessed.
1: Uh, We're going to look in Romans chapter 15 this morning, and we're going to continue looking at uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. So we believe that God has called us to be a refuge of grace. And in the refuge of grace, so we're we're exploring what that actually looks like, um, how we can operate in a refuge of grace. And so what we are actually doing is looking at six different things of what the work of the Holy Spirit is like inside of a refuge of grace. Adrian, I can't see the slides. If you could fix that for me, please. And so in Romans chapter 15, we're going to take a look at the work that Paul is encouraging us to pursue in the work of the Holy Spirit. Before we begin, though, I want to just think about for a few minutes, because I know that it's the, the top of the news, that it, is, um, that it is something that is pressing, not just in our country, but around the world. Um, it just seems like every day as we continue moving forward that things are more and more depressing, doesn't it? You turn on the news. You, uh, Pastor Morgan encouraged me um, this morning Uh, let's pray for the folks in eastern Kentucky where he is from. The community where where they are from has not been affected, but there have been so many other communities that have been affected by flooding and lives have been lost. We see in the Midwest that uh, that there is a drought. The farmers are struggling and they're saying that this is going to affect our food prices. We see that there have been supply chain issues coming out of a global pandemic and things are beginning to sort themselves out. Places that we would normally go out of convenience in restaurants or in stores may be closed or they may be out of food. We see that there is a war that's happening um, in, uh, in Russia and the U- between Russia and the Ukraine. And there now are even tensions between the United States and China. And so all of this stuff is stuff that can weigh heavy on us. And what this stuff, if you will, now I'm reducing this down to one word, which is stuff, but these are some huge issues, some huge, huge issues that we in, 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 in this room may not have the answers to other than the answer being Jesus Christ. But what these things do is weigh heavy on us, and we consume all of this stuff, and it robs us of our hope. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is lead us to hope. And listen, we live in a world that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. Amen? And listen, we have the answer to that, which is the Holy Spirit's work that He has called us to do right in the world around us. And so whenever hopeless situations present themselves to us, we have to respond with the hope that comes from Jesus Christ. If we were to take a poll, and I'm sure that somebody has, some news organization has, I couldn't find any this week, but I'm sure that there is a poll. If they were to ask us, how do you feel about the days ahead in the United States? Inflation, gas prices, food prices, housing, rent. There's been some people that are part of our church that says their rent has gone up three, four, $500 a month just in the last couple of months. Listen, this doesn't sound too hopeful. And if we were to ask our country, how much hope do we have in the direction that we're going? I'm sure that there would be a lot of people say that there's not a lot of hope And they would probably ask the next question is, well, then do we need a new president? Do we need new Congress members? Do we need new Supreme Court justices? Do we need this, that, or the other? Because the enemy wants us to think that that is where we can find our hope. And it is not. Our hope is only found in Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 15, Paul is actually writing from the city of Corinth to Roman believers, and in the city of Corinth, there was a lot of hopelessness taking place. In the city of Corinth, I was a short-term missionary to Athens, Greece, and we visited the old city of, uh, of the old city of Corinth. And they were able to identify, and they pointed out to us where the Christian church in Paul's time was, and what was taking place. And then they said to us, right next door, or just a couple of doors over there was a house of ill repute, right, just a couple doors over from the church. And right on the other side of that, there was a temple to the sun god. So Paul is riding from this community in the city of Corinth to Roman believers where there wasn't a lot of hope inside of that community. And Paul is sharing about the hope that can be found in relationship with Jesus Christ. So, I want to ask you to follow along with me in Romans 15. We're going to read from verse 7 to 13. Well, let's start at verse 5 because we'll come back to 5. Paul says in verse 5, Romans 15, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This unity is important. In two weeks from today, we're going to talk about unity and what that has looked like here for 90 years at Whitechapel Church. And so this unity is important, and we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But in verse 7, Paul says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written... Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I'll sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. And listen to verse 13. May the God of hope, It does not say the Roman government of hope. He does not say the economy of hope. He does not say the hope that you actually find anywhere on the face of this earth. But what Paul says, in the midst of people worshiping other gods and living sin-filled lives of deeds that we could not begin to imagine, Paul says to the believers, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. And here's where it comes from. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope is only found in God. And the way that we receive this hope and are connected to God is through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, if hope is here and we are here, then we need a vehicle to get to that hope. And Jesus came in the flesh to build the bridge to allow us through His blood sacrifice and the power of the Holy Spirit to have access to that hope. And we are living, it's no secret, you know it, you see it, you read it, you watch it, you live it, you experience it. We are in a world where there is no hope. And for too long as believers, we have tried to find hope outside of relationship with God. And I believe that the work that God is doing in the world today is making sure that we are totally dependent on the hope that can only be found in Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the hope here that Paul is talking about is much, much more than the hope that we talk about today. We talk about hope in a lot of different things. School's getting ready to go back. And parents may be already thinking, Oh man, I hope, I hope that my child has a good year this year. And we may even try to spiritualize that. and We may say, I hope and pray that my child has a good year this year. But you know what's found in that type of word hope? There's really some doubt, isn't there? Man, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Have any of you... Have any of you ever had the little gauge on your dash get down to E? Man, I hope I can make it to a gas station. In that statement, there's not a lot of certainty. I loved it when they came out with these digital gauges in your car. And it now tells me two miles to empty. One mile to empty. I have driven the car to where it's flashing and there are no more miles left over. And I'm, oh, I hope that I make it. I hope that I make it. And I've had to wait on AAA to bring me the refilling, the refilling of the car because my hope did not come true. But in that hope, there wasn't a lot of hope. And the hope that Paul is talking about is a different type of hope. We talk about hope like we're Jaguar fans saying, boy, I hope the Jaguars are good this year. And it doesn't happen. We've said it for 10 years and more. I'm hoping they're good, but in the back of our mind, we're like, I don't know. It just isn't looking good this year. This is how we think about the word hope. There's not a lot of certainty in our hope Because our hope is often rooted in what is seen and what is actually around us. But the word hope that Paul is talking about here could be taken out and these words placed into it. It's a certainty. I am 100% certain that it is going to happen. And so it's no longer, I'm hoping my kid gets a good teacher, or I'm hoping my kid has a good year, I'm hoping that I make it to the gas station, or I'm hoping that the Jaguars win. But instead, this hope that Paul is talking about is us waking up every day with 100% certainty that our hope is based on the one constant of our life who is never changing. And despite what's taking place around us, Paul says we can have hope. Now Paul used this word hope, certainty. It is going to happen more than anybody else in the New Testament. He did write the majority of the New Testament. But 21 times Paul comes back to this word that is used here when he says, May the God of hope fill you. And he does it that, so that you may overflow with hope hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. One scholar said this about the word hope that Paul is writing about here. He places his desires firmly in God that can be found in confident expectation in the promises of God. Confident expectation. Listen, the God of hope is the only confident expectation that you will ever experience in your life. And if you are new to Whitechapel Church or you've been here for quite some time, we say often, don't put your hope in the organization. Because this is us gathering together. And we are men and women who are made in the image of God, striving to be holy as He is, but we're not perfect people. But we can have a confident expectation in the God of hope, who is a God that never changes. And so what we push you to do is to have a true hope that only comes from the Holy Spirit. God, Paul says it is the God of hope that is actually doing the work. If we go back to verse 5, where we started reading, though, and I started here intentionally because I want to point out what Paul is leading up to. If we were to go back and we were to read chapter 14 and chapter 15, if there was a section of this letter that Paul is writing, this is that section. And what Paul is encouraging the believers to do is really to live this holy life that is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then as he assures the gospel... S. R. A. C. is assuring life inside of the gospel. He says in verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement. Listen, if you don't have hope, that is a confident expectation. There is no endurance and there is no encouragement. You can try to turn on the news to encourage you, to give you a little bit more endurance. It's not going to happen. We have for over 200 years as a country elected Democrats and Republicans and all the other parties that have been in existence throughout the centuries, the couple centuries of the the United States of America, and here we find ourselves in this situation. That says to me that we can't put our hope in the government. Our government is great, and I am so thankful that I live as an American in the United States of America. There's no other country where I would want to live. I love our our system of government. I love our freedoms that we have. But my hope is not found in those things. My hope is found in this certain expectancy in the God of all hope. And that is what Paul is writing about. There we can find encouragement, there we can find endurance, and there we can find our purpose because God is the origin of our hope. I want to encourage you to write this down, take a photo of this, because I want to push you to wrestle with this sentence this week. God is the origin of hope and the object of hope. He's not only the origin of hope, but he is the object of hope. If we were to remove the object, then we have removed hope because then we're trying to find something else to connect to the origin, which is Him, where this originated, which is in Him before the world was ever framed. God is the origin of hope, and He is the object of hope. Now again, in the Greeks and Romans, in this day, there were a lot of different fake gods. We, in fact, our family was just talking about that this week. There were the Greek gods, all this mythology. They had uh, Greek gods of war. There was the, the god of fertility, the god of the sun and the moon, the god of the crops, the god of wisdom. And what Paul was writing for, where Paul was writing from was from this community where there were all of these different temples and all of these different altars that were built to all of these fake gods. And the way that the people lived in this time is if you were needing more crops, you would go to this altar to the crop god, and there you would offer a sacrifice, and they expected, or they placed their hope in this crop god, that then they would have more crops because they were giving a sacrifice to that. Or if they needed more wisdom, it worked the same way. And so this is how these people were operating. And what Paul is writing to is a group of people that, where they had no certainty in their life. And what Paul is saying is, I want to bring you back to where you can truly find certainty and where you can truly find hope. And Paul is reminding us that it is the God of hope. It is only in Him that we can have, be certain and we can have hope. And it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen... If a man comes and lives on this earth and he says, they're going to kill me and they're going to bury me, but in three days I'm going to defeat death and I'm going to come back to life and he does it and then he ascends to his father, we might ought to listen to the hopeful words that he is bringing to us. Because there has never been a man on the face of this earth that has defeated the certainty of death other than Jesus Christ. And so Jesus even came to defeat the certainty of death to give us hope that even that certainty in our life was not going to defeat us. But that we could place our certainty, certain expectation in Him, the God of hope, through the power of the Holy Spirit to make certain for us that nothing on this earth would be able to separate us from God Almighty. What the world needs today is a church that is filled with the hope from the God of hope that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to be a hope-filled people so that when the world goes crazy, we still have hope. When food prices go up, we still have hope. When sin is running rampant around us, we still have hope. When inflation eats our paycheck, we still have hope. When friends turn their back on us because we have a hope in God, we still have hope. The world needs this type of certain expectant hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And why, why can we find this hope? Because there are no surprises to God. You should probably write that down. Because when surprises come in your life, you need to read that sentence and say, this is no surprise to God. And while this surprise may deplete my hope, I'm coming back to the God of hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this surprise is no surprise to where I find my hope. Because what the enemy wants to do, and he does it over and over and over in our lives, we just have to watch it and call it out and have some discernment in situations, is the enemy will use things to deplete us of our hope. And he knows if he robs us from our hope, then he robs us from our faith. What did Paul say at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Now there are three things that remain. There's faith, hope, and love. These three things And if the enemy can take the hope, he can take the love. And if he takes the love, he can take the faith. This is how the enemy works. But there are no surprises to God. So whatever the world presents to us, whatever circumstances that may come our way that the enemy wants to use to rob us of our hope, we have to remind him, hey, hey, in my relationship with God, He has all of my hope. All I have to do through the power of the Holy Spirit is be connected to Him. And with Him, there are no surprises whatsoever. Ephesians, Paul writing to the Ephesian church in chapter 1, verse 3. The beginning of his letter, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Listen to this with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What hope can we find in this passage of Scripture? What a certain expectancy there is in this verse. Because Paul, in writing to the Ephesian believers, did not say that God has given you blessings and there are other things that are going to actually come. And this is true not just for our Ephesian Ephesian brothers and sisters. This is true for us today as Daytonian brothers and sisters as well. God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That is hope. And that blessing comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So then we have to ask ourselves the question, why is it that we become hopeless? If God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, and he has poured it out to us, so we have access. We have access to his presence through the power of the Holy Spirit over the bridge that Jesus built for us to to, um, overcome that gap that sin caused in our life. Why is it that we lose our hope? I'll tell you what I believe is the number one reason. It's one word, and it's fear. Fear, I believe, is one of the greatest weapons that the enemy uses in our life. Because if the enemy can bring fear into your life, then what fear does is it robs you of your hope. So instead of hoping through the power of the Holy Spirit in the God of hope, And being connected to him, we start to focus on fear. And then what happens is our mind begins to run rampant on us. Well, I'm fearful because of this. And I'm fearful because I'm a a little concerned because of this. Or I'm a little worried because of this. So then our thinking begins to run rampant. And then our emotions get all tied up in this. And we're fearful all of a sudden instead of hopeful and we're chasing fear instead of living in the certain expectancy that's found in the god of hope. And then what happens is we start to allow that fear to change how we live and we changes how we act. It changes our thoughts, changes our behaviors. And fear all of a sudden we get too far into this is dictating how we live our lives some of us may have been hurt in relationships maybe a marriage maybe a boyfriend a girlfriend maybe friends maybe family but all of a sudden if we get captured in that what we'll discover is fear dictates how we live in relationship with other people Some of us have been hurt maybe by a bad boss, a bad supervisor, a bad manager over us. And then before you know it, we back down and we're working out of fear instead of working the way the scripture tells us, in hope as unto the Lord. So some of you may have thought we're going to do a drawing for a new bicycle because it's back to school that's not the case this is actually Lucy's bicycle it's been with us for a couple of moves it's been in the garage you can see the cobwebs on the tire and it's been in there for a long long time she gave me permission to share this story with you so I don't want you to think that I'm just pouring all of her stuff out here in front of you When Lucy was about five or six years old, we lived in Jacksonville. Her bike was a little bit smaller than this. This was her second bicycle. Her bike was a little smaller than this, and she and I would ride bikes periodically. In the front of our neighborhood, there was a park, and I hated how the sidewalks were in our neighborhood because there were sidewalks, but there was never a down ramp off of the sidewalk. You had to use people's driveway. You had to use the the driveway of other people to actually get down, and then there you would cross and go up somebody else's driveway and then get on the sidewalk, and then you would go. Lucy and I rode periodically up to the park and we would play or we would ride around the neighborhood. We had done it several times. And in her bike with the training wheels, we were riding up there one day, and I went down the driveway in front of her, and she came down the driveway at an angle. And instead of coming at it straight down, where she would just go down and go right up, she went at an angle, and the speed got a little bit too high, and one of her training wheels tipped her over. This set her off. She didn't ride a bike for a long time after that. I had to get off of my bike, carry her, pushing two bikes the rest of the way back home. We got back home. She got all healed up. She wouldn't ride a bike for a long, long time. So we moved to Crystal River. We had been there for a little while in Crystal River. And uh, we were actually in our second house in Crystal River. And right next door to us, there were, uh, we had a neighbor that had three kids. There was a little girl that was just a spitfire little girl. And she had a bike, smaller bike, much younger than Lucy. She had a smaller bike, no training wheels, And my goodness, this girl went everywhere like a rocket on her bike. They had another daughter that was Lucy's age or maybe just a little bit younger than, uh, maybe a year younger than Lucy's age. They may have been right at the same age. And she rode her bike everywhere. And what Lucy would do is while they were riding their bikes, she would run alongside them because in her mind, she was still fearful of an event that had happened quite some time before that. It didn't take too long. For Lucy running alongside these other girls, and the one girl much, much smaller than Lucy was, that Lucy decided, I'm going to ride my bike. And so she said to me, Dad, take my training wheels off. I said, Lucy, (laughs) hold on just a second here. You haven't ridden your bike since we lived in Jacksonville, and you were, you know, however tall. You rode your bike last with training wheels, and so you want to ride your bike without training wheels? Yeah, yeah, I want to ride my bike without training wheels. So this is the bike. I took the training wheels off. And we went out into the yard because we knew what was going to happen. And so I'm holding on to the back. Lucy gets on the bike, and she takes off. She starts riding her bike. What changed? It was her thinking. It was her mind. She said, I'm no longer going to live in fear of the bicycle, I've watched this little girl and I've watched her older sister ride all over this neighborhood in a bicycle. And so in Lucy's mind, she said, I'm sick and tired of not being able to ride a bicycle. I didn't run, but just a few steps behind her. And she took off on her bicycle. Listen, some of us are this way with hope. We've allowed the enemy to rob us of our hope And we're not going to get back on our spiritual bicycles and take off because we have a fear that something is going to happen to us. Oh sure, we see people every day running all around us and they're doing great spiritually. They've got every spiritual blessing that Paul talked about from the heavenly realm and they're living that out in their life. But because something happened to me in the past, I'm all of a sudden going to be fearful and I'm going to be crippled in my life. When your spirit is clogged and dominated by fear, then your connection to God is severed. Because God is not a God of fear. He is, as Paul said in Romans 15 verse 13, He is the God of hope that allows us to overcome our fears and get on our spiritual bicycle and take off so that we are conquerors. Listen, fear is a tool of the enemy that immobilizes you, and it stops you from moving forward. It happened to Lucy on a bicycle, and it happens to every single one of us in our spiritual walk with God. How is it that fear immobilizes us? It controls our thoughts. And Lucy, for a long time, was saying, I'm not riding that bicycle again. I'm not getting on the bicycle. Because I fell and I hurt myself, and because of that one incident, and because of that one pain in my life a while ago, then I will never ride a bicycle again. But she saw other people that were victorious, and she got on the bike, and she took off. Do you know why God placed us in the church? It's so that we can see people living in an expectant hope Certain expectant hope, riding the bicycle without training wheels all over the place victoriously so we can say, hey, I can do that as well. And then what that does in the body of believers united in unity together, it says they can do it, I can do it. Because every one of us have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm that enables you to overcome fear. But the enemy will control your thoughts. It's a great tool. Of the enemy. And then if he can control your thoughts, he can control your emotions. And then when your thoughts are controlled, when your emotions are controlled, then they start to dictate to you what your behaviors are. That's what happened with Lucy on the bicycle. We can laugh at that story. But listen, when it comes to us in our spiritual walk, it is a sad, sad story. And we have to call out the work that the enemy is doing in fear and say, I'm not going to be controlled by fear. My thoughts are not going to be fearful thoughts. My emotions are not going to be fearful emotions. My, my actions, my behaviors are not going to be fearful behaviors, but instead, I'm going to have hopeful thoughts. I'm going to have hopeful emotions, and therefore, I'm going to have hopeful behaviors, A couple of years ago, Melissa had a dream. It was just a dream. But man, did she wake up mad at me. It wasn't real. It was fake. It happened in the middle of the night when I was in bed right next to her. But it got her so stirred up inside that she just woke up mad. And she had to wrestle with her thoughts and her emotions and say, that was just a dream. That wasn't real. I don't have to act on this because that is just fake. And when the enemy brings fear into your life, listen, that is not true in the spiritual realm. Fear crushes hope. Hope comes from God. Now listen, there are some things that we have to be fearful of that can be little blinking lights for us. I don't walk around sticking my tongue in an electrical outlet because I stuck a knife in one once, and I know what's going to happen to me, and I have a little fear of electricity now. That fear says to me, don't go there. Don't do that. That's not the kind of fear that I'm talking about. I'm talking about a fear that stops you from living victorious over the mess of this world and the sin in this world that immobilizes you and robs you of your hope. Your thoughts and your emotions do not always equal reality. Instead, we have to guard those thoughts. We have to guard those emotions. And we have to come to the God of hope. And there then we find truth and all of reality. Paul also said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you're not guarding your mind, If you're not guarding your thoughts, your heart, then the enemy's gonna attack them. And he's gonna bring fear so that you are immobilized in your faith. And the next thing that you'll know, time goes by and you're no longer riding your spiritual bicycle because you are immobilized by fear. You have to guard your heart. You have to guard your mind so that the enemy doesn't attack in order to dictate bad behaviors in all of our life. So I want to go back to the very beginning and remind you of this. God is the origin of hope. God is the object of our hope. And the way that we have access to this hope is through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the answer that the world needs. And that is found in the hope that comes through the God of hope. So what we have to discover is that hope overcomes fear by truth. So when the enemy brings fear into your life, and he's using that as a weapon against you, what you have to have is a stronger weapon to crush the enemy's weapon. And when you try to battle it on your own, you can't do that. Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Exactly like this, he said, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He did not say so that you may overflow with hope whenever you go out and you do this spiritual battle on your own. When the enemy comes against you, you have to have a stronger weapon against his weapon to stop you. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. And hope overcomes fear by truth so you've got to discover truth well where is it that we can discover truth jesus said it this way i am the way i am the truth i am the life and no one comes to the father except through me so here do you see how we get to the god of hope jesus built the bridge the holy spirit is the power that actually gets us there and there then we find this truth that overcomes and destroys fear. You see, Lucy had to get to the truth that she could ride a bicycle, that she did have the ability, that she was capable of keeping up with the other girls in the neighborhood. She no longer had to run along beside them trying to keep up. We have to do the same thing in the spiritual realm. And hope overcomes fear by truth. You see, you have to make sure that you have truth in your life. If you're buying the lie from the media, if you're buying the lie of the enemy, if you're buying the lies of this world, then you don't have truth in your life. So you've got to ask yourself the question, what is it that I'm consuming? What is it that I'm being consumed by? When you go home, do you just turn on the TV and let the nonsense of the TV just fill your mind and fill your heart? When you go home, do you sit down at night and the first thing you do is pick up the newspaper the newspaper to see what you can find and consume inside of that newspaper. I've never once picked up a newspaper. I was in media for years. I never once went to work and dealt hope on the other side of a microphone. But praise God, I now am able to deal hope through this microphone, through the truth that is found in the relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, what we don't understand is the enemy is crafty. He's very cunning, the scriptures tells us. And he will use everything around us to destroy us through fear and robbing us of our hope. But it's only truth that can destroy fear. Some of us have been trying to overcome fear in our life and we're reading all kinds of other stuff, or we're allowing ourselves to consume other types of stuff, but it doesn't lead us to the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. The God of hope, Paul said. And listen, we've got to be a people of hope. We've got to be a people of hope. It's no option, no option for us in the church. So where is it we discover this hope? It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit who leads us to the God of hope. So what are you filling your life up with? What are you pouring into your life? What is it that you are consuming? Is it a weapon that the enemy is using to lead you to fear? To steal your hope from you? Are you turning on the TV and, man, you're just hoping for some better economic news? You're just hoping that things are going to be just a little bit better today? Are you trying to overcome something in your life and you're like, well, this is a good book. It addresses this, but it leaves out the truth, which is Jesus Christ. What is it that you're filling your life up with? In this next moment, as we stand and sing in just a minute, I want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit that question. God, What is it I'm consuming that's lacking the truth, that destroys fear, that robs me of all of my hope?
0: Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you. And that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.